Next, ReachMD's special series, Focus on Diabetes. This month, we're taking an in-depth look at diabetes, the disease now affecting nearly 1 in 10 Americans. Tune in all this month for the latest research, treatments, and prevention methods to gain new insights for your practice. Metformin is often the first line of therapy for patients with type 2 diabetes, but it's contraindicated for patients with renal insufficiency, which is a very common comorbidity in diabetes. Do the benefits of metformin outweigh the risks for those with renal insufficiency, or should we use caution when considering metformin for these patients? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and our guest today is Dr. Hugh Tisley, clinical professor in the Department of Medicine, Division of Endocrinology at the University of British Columbia at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, Canada. Dr. Tisley, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, metformin is usually our first line for patients with type 2 diabetes. Why is this such an attractive medication for those patients? Well, just certainly talking from a practical point of view, number one, it's readily available. Number two, it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, Number three, we have the UK PDS study, which has shown not only efficacy with regards to glucose lowering, but also some cardioprotection. So for all of those reasons and and for the relative lack of uh, hypoglycemia, it seems like a very good first-line drug to use. And the lack of hypoglycemia certainly makes us feel confident and that it's very safe. Do you believe that some of the heart protection may be due to some of its metabolic effects? I don't think we really know the mechanism of the heart protection effects. We just have the observational data from the UK study, which gives us that statistical strength. The absolute etiology of that cardioprotection really isn't well understood. Am I wrong to think about some benefits in terms of lack of hyperinsulinemia and some of the metabolic fallout, or is that something we should consider in choosing metformin? The consideration of metformin is, number one, it's weight neutral or does help patients lose weight, so that's certainly a very beneficial aspect. The whole discussion with regards to hyperinsulinemia and cardiovascular events I think is a gray area, Mm -hmm. and I think it's falling out of favor. So for the reasons that you did state, though, it is still our first choice, and we know that there can be some issues with diarrhea. It's more of the annoying type of side effect but then there is this fear about lactic acidosis. What's the history behind that? It really goes back to one of the sister drugs used in the 60s called Fenformin. Mm -hmm. And uh, those of us who are gray enough to remember, there was a university group study which really found that uh, Fenformin did cause lactic acidosis, and shortly thereafter it was pulled. The rest of the world was using metformin really from the late 1960s to present. Mm. The U.S. was petrified of using biguanides because of the fenformin experience, and it wasn't until 1995 that metformin was licensed by FDA. So there was quite a lag time before the FDA embraced this medication, and when they did so, they did so with fairly strict recommendations. And it's a little disturbing to say that that some of these recommendations were done through emotion rather than evidence-based studies. One of the recommendations was, of course, that if anyone developed any evidence of renal impairment, as minimal as it might be, that the drug should be discontinued. There's absolutely no data to support that line of thought. 
Is there some data showing that metformin has been implicated in certain cases of lactic acidosis? You know, lactic acidosis has gotten a lot of press, but when you actually look at how frequent lactic acidosis is in large populations which are using the drug, it's extremely rare. In fact, in animals, Salpeter reviewed the Cochrane database, which involved 347 studies in about 70,000 patient years and didn't find one case of lactic acidemia. So that's reassuring because those of us who have used it clinically, personally, for close to 30 years rarely see lactic acidosis, and it's usually associated with a comorbid condition, such as someone who is elderly and becomes septic or goes into congestive failure or has precipitous worsening of renal function. That's generally the setting in which you see lactic acidosis. It's not in stable patients. So that's a very important point. Uh, Usually there has to be some other comorbidity that I guess would compromise metabolism, compromise kidney function to precipitate something like this acidotic state. Well, what's even more confusing is the fact that uh, repeated studies have tried to correlate metformin levels in those cases in which lactic acidosis presents itself, and those have been negative. So here you have a drug level, it's implicated in a bad side effect, yet there doesn't appear to be an accumulation or a toxicity of the metformin in association with the lactic acidosis. I interpret that data as showing me that it's probably the comorbidity rather than the drug that is precipitating the event. So the metformin may be just an innocent bystander in a sick patient who would develop acidosis anyway. Yeah, I think that's an accurate assumption. Now, having said that, we really do run into some gray areas in people with severe renal insufficiency, like our patients on dialysis, et cetera, who have very little creatinine clearance. Giving a drug that's renally cleared, I think, is perhaps folly. As we move back down towards where people may have mild or moderate renal insufficiency, the use of the drug with caution, with advice to our patients, I think is quite defensible. And when we take into account the fact that metformin does have a cardioprotective effect, and that is one of our major lethal side effects of diabetes and mild renal insufficiency, we're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater when we say not to use metformin in these settings. Excellent point. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Hugh Tisley, clinical professor in the Department of Medicine, Division of Endocrinology at the University of British Columbia at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, Canada, and we are talking about the use of metformin in patients who have type 2 diabetes and renal insufficiency. Dr. Tilsley, what practical guidelines would you suggest then for our patients with type 2 diabetes? Is there a particular creatinine or GFR we should be looking at? That's an excellent question for which there's an opinion but no real evidence-based answer. Certainly, if I can be personal, one of the greatest frustrations I have is having our renal fellows return from the U.S. where they've been trained and have been told that it is absolutely contraindicated to use metformin if the creatinine is elevated. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I will be seeing patients that I've followed for 10 or 15 years who have mild renal insufficiency. They see the new nephrologist on the block and their metformin stopped and their A1C goes from 7 to 9. You just don't need to do that. You have a flow sheet in your chart. You know what the serum creatinine or EGFR is. 
you know that it's stable, you can continue to use the metformin with prudence. What I advise my patients is that as their creatinine rises, hopefully slowly, that if they become ill with protracted nausea or vomiting, they should withhold their metformin and they should seek medical care. So there is no absolute cutoff. I can tell you that the cutoff isn't an abnormal elevation of serum creatinine. And in our units, I actually do continue using the metformin up to the range of 200 to 225. So uh, I'm quite happy to do that. I have a long experience of doing that with impunity. Again, it's frustrating because we'll never get a randomized control trial using metformin versus whatever to uh, look at the lactic acidosis rate. That study would have to be huge because the rate is so small. So rare, so rare. To get personal, I think of my mother-in-law who was doing wonderfully on metformin and reached a creatinine uh, 1.5 here in the States, and she was changed to a TZD with resultant edema and loss of control of her diabetes, etc. It's a shame. Yeah, these folks are made metformin orphans, and, and you really have to step back and ask whether that's the correct thing to do. I really sympathize with my U.S. colleagues because there it is in black and white in all the guidelines telling you to stop the drug, and then, of course, there's the fear of lawsuits. Mm -hmm. You should understand that uh, there's another component of me which is somewhat obsessive-compulsive, and and so I reviewed our compendium for uh, pharmaceutical recommendations way back to 1972 and asked the question, well, what did they say about metformin? And it wasn't until 1995 when the FDA recommendations came out about the serum creatinine being a risk that that showed up in the Canadian guidelines before it wasn't even there. And when you look at the world literature, the risk of lactic acidosis and its frequency is really paltry. So another example of where medical legal issues may be guiding practical treatment rather than science and denying patients a very excellent medication for their issue. That's true, and I think maybe there should be a strategy such as what's being followed with the rosiglitazone controversy where you have patients sign off that they've been told about a risk, they've been told that the medication may have a contraindication, but are you willing to take the risk? And by the way, I think it's a necessary drug for you. And to me, that might be a rational way around it, but I'm not in the States. Dr. Tilsley, it's common practice here in the States when a patient is on metformin and having a contrast study, a contrast CT or the like, to hold the metformin and check a creatinine level before restarting it. What do you think about that? I think there's theoretic risk with that because there can be dehydration, et cetera, with the contrast media, and there can be renal damage with the contrast media. I can tell you that before 1995, we never did that, and we didn't see any complications. So, again, I think that it's very cautious. But in the long run, I can live with it because the drug is going to be restarted. It's the people in whom the drug gets stopped indefinitely to me, that's the real disadvantage of that policy. Yeah, that's very sad. Let's say I have a patient who has some mild renal insufficiency and I do start them on metformin anew. Do you recommend any particular time period to reassess the kidney function? That's a common, I think, misnomer, which is that people think that metformin can cause renal insufficiency, and the, the reality is that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Side effects may increase with renal insufficiency, and the operative word is may. So if that patient is stable and you follow that patient for years and the serum creatinine is 10, maybe 10, 15% elevated, you don't need to worry that it's going to worsen with the introduction of metformin. And as always with this drug and pretty well any drug, 
to minimize your side effects with it, starting slow and low is the best way to do it. So I generally start with uh, 250 milligrams twice daily and follow their capillary blood glucose measurements and, and uh, over the phone will increase their dosage according to their blood sugars. Very good. So metformin is not toxic to the kidney. It's not going to cause any renal insufficiency. It's just if there's pre-existing renal insufficiency or a, a drop in the efficiency, you worry about perhaps the buildup of the breakdown products in acidosis. Yeah, and, and the operative word is perhaps, and clearly if your patient's becoming acidemic, I think it'd be folly to continue the metformin in that setting, and you need to get to the bottom of why they're acidemic. And again, the thing we should ask our patients to be watching for would be mostly nausea and vomiting? That's right. And Or if they become severely ill, don't tough it out. Uh, stop the medication first and see your, your practitioner quickly. Any final guidelines for us practicing physicians in terms of using this very important medicine in our patients with type 2 diabetes? Well, I think it goes back to your mother-in-law. Understand that when you remove this drug, which is an effective drug, that you're going to have to replace it with something. And what you replace it with, hopefully, is going to be superior. So the decision to stop the medication, I think, has to be evidence-based and has to be secure. And unfortunately, some of the guidelines and practices are not that their uh, belief. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Hugh Tilsley, who has been discussing with us the use of metformin in type 2 diabetics who have renal insufficiency. He has pointed out that there is really a paucity of good scientific evidence that the use of metformin in patients with mild uh, renal insufficiency can lead to lactic acidosis and that we need to be thinking about our patient's best interest, follow them carefully, but not necessarily rule out this important medicine because of some a minor renal insufficiency. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Also, please visit us at ReachMD.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Diabetes. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.